my God. It's been forever. <laughs> my name is Kate Walker. And I'm Catherine Rory. Wow. Wow. It's literally it's forgot how this works. Luxurious Didn't plug break. in my microphone. <laughs> yeah. We had a, I ha, well, I had a great break. I don't know about you. Yes. Oh, God, me too. It went, it went so fast. Yeah. But was so needed. Mm. How have you been the past couple weeks? Good. It's been kind of on and off gloomy in LA and warm. Yep. We've been able to lay out a little bit. You were gone. Yeah. I mean, summer is coming and I'm ready. I know. It's so close. Yeah. I can smell the Aperol spritz from here. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> what about you? I mean, I had a great past few weeks. Mm-hmm. I had some friends visit. Mm-hmm. I so saw my family on vacation. I got a car. Mm-hmm. I got bedroom furniture. Mm-hmm. I got TikTok. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, TikTok is the best. TikTok is the best place. TikTok is the best. I love it so much. Kate has had it and she, I could hear it cracking, cracking up, up from the other room. And then I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm just going to do it. And it is. It's been such a treat, such a treasure. People are so creative, so smart, so fun. Yes. So cool, you know? Yes. It's all good things. Yeah. Yep. I love it so much. (laughs) All right, Kat. Can I get into our first topic in forever? Tell me, babes. Okay. Where are we off to this weekend? (laughs) That was very good. You know, A plus, (laughs) top notch. Um, Okay, so this week... We are traveling to England. Nope, not really, not really at all. Oh. Okay, so, <laughs> okay. Um, so it's Egypt via England. So oh, cool. Right. Okay. So Egypt. this is the story about how a British excavation team opened King Tut's tomb and maybe had oh some God. consequences. Maybe not. <gasps> Ooh, okay. Ooh, I literally just got chills. I love this stuff. Okay, fun. Okay, so the story starts with Lord Carnarvon. He was born George Edward Stanhope Mulnia Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon, and he married Almeida Victoria Maria Alexandra Wombwell, who was the illegitimate (sighs) daughter of Alfred de Rothschild's money. Money. Even as an illegitimate child wow yeah yeah so lord carnarvon had debts and he was like who can i marry Mm -hmm. i need money yeah and so he found lady carnarvon and okay here they go to egypt adventures adventures. yes yeah great Um, with her money (laughs) Mm -hmm. sure so i would do the same if i had that with this money, he developed many hobbies, including motor driving, horse racing, and eventually Egyptology. So Amazing. in 1903, Carnarvon suffered a serious accident in Germany, like a motoring accident, and he never mm-hmm. recovered. So the doctors told him he has to convalesce out of England. And so eventually him and his wife start spending their winters in Egypt. Okay. Wow. It's just so far away. I love it. It's far. Yeah. It's like, how do you get there? Planes? Well, not planes, but trains and boats and automobiles. How many Um, a month does it take to get there? Like, God. And because of this, he was able to finance excavations in the Valley of the Kings in Egypt. 
So mm-hmm. Lord Carnarvon was the chief financial backer for an archaeologist, another British archaeologist and Egyptologist, Howard Carter. So they worked together starting in 1907, and they saw times of feast and famine regarding excavating tombs. Like some years they had great success finding tombs with lots Mm. of artifacts, and some years, you know, niente. So in 1922, so this was like after the First World War, Mm -hmm. he said it was going to be his last year funding Carter's excavations in Egypt. (gasps) So, and they agreed because I think they were kind of like, let's move on. You know, we're not having yeah. great success. Yeah. You know. Just like you're so full of hope every day. Yes. And it's so painstaking yeah. and imagine to go you're, through. You're dusty. You're dusting you're hot, inch by inch. Yeah, you're not having that much success. Thing. And you're like, yeah. I just want rainy England. You know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so Carter returned to the Valley of the Kings and investigated a line of huts he had abandoned a few seasons earlier. The crew cleared the huts and rock debris, and on the 4th of November, 1922, their young water boy accidentally stumbled on a stone that turned out to be the top of a flight of stairs cut into bedrock. So then Carter partially dug out these stairs and saw a doorway. And the doorway mm. was stamped with distinct cartouches, which is, are oval seals with hieroglyphic writings. Okay. They cleared the stairway, and they saw a seal that Tutankhamun, like the cartouche, was his. So on the 26th of November, with Lord Carnarvon, Lady Evelyn, which is mm. Lady Carnarvon, and their assistant made a tiny breach in the top left corner of the doorway. So he was able to see with a candle, (gasps) and he was able to see many gold and ebony treasures were still in place. Wow. (laughs) So then he said, Presently, as my eyes grew accustomed to the light, details of the room within emerged slowly from the mist. Strange animals, (gasps) statues, and gold, everywhere the glint of gold. For the moment, an eternity must have seemed to others standing by, I was struck dumb with amazement, and when Lord Carnarvon, unable to stand the suspense any longer, inquired anxiously, can you see anything? It was all I could do to get the words out, yes, wonderful things. I literally have tears in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine this? No. Oh, no. Wow. No, no, no. Absolutely. Like, there are no words. Yeah. Really. So the tomb was then secured. The practice was that excavations could be funded, like, externally by foreign people, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it had to go through the Egyptian Department of Antiquities. They had, okay. they had to have someone yeah. check it out. But however, naughty naughty, that night, Carter, Carnarvon, and Lady Evelyn and their assistant made an unauthorized visit becoming the first people in modern times to go into that tomb. God. Wow. Okay. I mean, like, yes, naughty, naughty. How could – you couldn't help yourself, I bet. You I know, bet they're like, just like, you, you know, You cannot sleep. Yes. yes. Like, thinking get, about it. Get us in there. We need someone here now. Yes. Otherwise, we're going in. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day, they had the Egyptian official turn up, and then they rigged lighting – and they saw gilded couches, chests, thrones, and shrines. And they saw evidence of, like, deeper in of chambers 
And then they see evidence of what they think is a burial chamber, which is a big deal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's guarded by two life-size statues of Tutankhamun. There was evidence of previous break-ins into the tomb, but not the burial room. Okay. So that's the difference here. On the 16th of February, 1923, Carter opened the sealed doorway, confirming that it led to the actual burial chamber with the sarcophagus of Tutankhamun. Uh, mm -hmm. And the tomb was considered the best preserved and most intact tomb ever found in the Valley of the Kings. Uh, And mm -hmm. the news spread in the press. Lord Carnarvon, friends with newspaper people, only uh-huh. gave the reporting rights to the Times, this you know okay. British newspaper. This mm-hmm. comes into play later. I'll talk. I'll talk about it later. And then towards the end of 1923, Lord Carnarvon and Carter start fighting. They start bickering. Oh. They start disagreeing about what should be done and how to manage Egyptian authorities. So then the excavation temporarily halted. Oh come on. Also, side note. Carter, he was so meticulous the way he, because he wanted to do it right, like excavate it correctly and make sure everything was preserved, make sure everything was correctly documented. So it took years. Yes. I think it took eight years to excavate this tomb. Wow. The processes of what he did are still used today. Okay. So good. He is very, what he was doing. Very acclaimed in the academic world still. Okay. So here comes the curse, question mark. Okay. (laughs) We all know the story. The curse of the pharaohs is a strong belief of that anyone who should disturb a mummy or pharaoh's tomb will be cursed. Mm -hmm. So this was like a belief intended to preserve the sanctity of the tombs rather than, you know, invite looters and robbers and uh, people messing with someone's eternal resting place. Okay, so it all started with Howard Carter's pet canary. <laughs> and it was and it was eaten by a cobra. So in Egypt, the cobra is symbolic to the Egyptian monarchy and it is believed that the royal cobra was released in Carter's home as a symbol to how the king strikes his enemies. Oh. So this is uh-oh. when it's stirring up. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then in late 1923, the excavation was closed. Everyone was really tired because they're all, you know, working tirelessly. And so it closed to give people like a little holiday break. And so Carnarvon and his daughter sailed south. And during this trip, Carnarvon was bit on the cheek by a mosquito. (gasps) And then after, he accidentally sliced the scab off while shaving. And then he started to feel unwell and he, <gasps> it just kept getting worse. And he, you know, traveled to Cairo to go see, like, a doctor. Uh-huh. But it was too late. He had blood poisoning and pneumonia. What? Yeah. So they were From saying... That? Yeah. They were oh, saying, God. like, normally a fit person can, you know, survive this yeah. and would be able to ward off infection. But since... I don't know what happened in his motor accident, but he was, like, not really that well... So oh, I think, okay. like, that's why it made him vulnerable to chest infections. I don't know. Whatever, science. Okay. And <laughs> then he eventually died a few months later. Oh, my God. Yeah. So oh, that's awful. Because he's, like, a celebrity now in mm-hmm. Britain, and Britain is a land looking for comfort, 
you know, after mm -hmm. the war. So old religious certainties were already weakened by scientific advantages of the Victorian age. I did not write that. That sounds very smart. I'm just reading this. <laughs> you and are smart. We're eroded Good job. by like thank you, Nachio. <laughs> we're eroded by all of the horrors of the First World War. So okay. this is when we get interest in the occult seances. Yes. Ouija mm. boards. Astrology. Yes. Yeah. I eat that shit up. Yeah, oh me too. I mean, I don't want any Ouija boards. I don't really want to say No, never touch but one. I want a psychic rating, you know? Absolutely. So this attempt is sort of like a spiritual enlightenment by elementals. So like the elementals okay. of ancient Egypt became popular then. Cool. Yeah. So people are interested, you know, it's mm -hmm. of the time. Fake news is not a new thing. <laughs> so it said that many people believed that there was an engraved plaque, death comes on swift wings to he who disturbs the tomb of the pharaoh had been discovered and suppressed by Carter, which was not true, that that plaque didn't exist. Yeah. He said, it is rather too much to ask me to believe that some spook is keeping watch and ward over the dead pharaoh, ready to wreak vengeance on anyone who goes too near. And it was also, this, like, theory was also fueled by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, who wrote yes, Sherlock yeah. Holmes, that Carnarvon's death was caused by elementals created by Tutankhamun's priests to guard the royal tomb. I mean, is he an Egyptologist? No. No, but... He's just popular. Spin, yeah. spin a tale. Yeah. And I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so there are various other people who are there. I don't know exactly who everyone, what part they played, but I'll talk about okay. what happened. Yeah. Okay, so the next person who experienced something was Sir Bruce Ingham, and he was Carter's friend. Mm -hmm. And Ingham re received a paperweight that was made of mummy's hands. <gasps> and it had a scarab bracelet, and then it said... Cursed be who moves my body, to him mm -hmm. shall come fire, water, and pestilence. And uh -oh. his house burned down twice. Oh! Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Also, why why is he given that? That should not have been given away. Just leave it with the body, you know? Yes. Just leave it that... together. Here, yeah. you take this mummy's hand? Yeah. No, no. That should stay in Egypt. Okay. Yes. I know. But What's know. happening? So... <laughs> Like I said, I don't know who... Yeah. There's like, a million people on this people project. Connected. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Prince Ali Kamal Fami Bey of Egypt was shot dead by his wife in 1923. Oh. Whoa. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed x-rayed the mummy and mis died mysteriously in 1924. <gasps> oh my Sir, God. Yeah. The oh. Surly Stack was a governor general of the Sudan... He was assassinated in Cairo in 1924, mm. which, you know, is that part of the curse? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then Arthur Mace of the excavation team died of arsenic poisoning in 1928. God. And then Carter's secretary, Richard Bethel, died smothered in his bed in <gasps> 1929. And then By his who? father <gasps> committed suicide in 1930. So, <gasps> God. That's a mysterious things happen yes okay so there was this egyptologist and his name was herbert winlock and he tried he's like let's look at the statistics of this mm -hmm. 
how many people were there, how many died. So he found that only really six of the 26 people had died within the first decade of opening okay. the tomb. I was thinking, because like 23, 24, that's really close. Yes. But then the, as the years yes, go it's on, sprinkling it's like, down Meh. and you're like, yeah, mm, I don't know. And then, so Lady Evelyn, who was there, she didn't die until 1980. So they were like, and she nah. was there. Yeah. Yeah. And when Carter died, because Carter died of, he had cancer, but he said, and then it was like many years later, it was like 15 years later. Okay. And the epitaph on his gravestone read, reads, May your spirit live. May you spend millions of years, you who love Thebes, sitting with your face to the north wind, your eyes beholding happiness. And this quote was taken from the wishing cup of Tutankhamun. Oh, okay. Mm. Mm, nice. So really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just loved Egypt. Mm-hmm. So there are some theories circulating about like what actually is going on. One theory is that King Tut's burial might have been booby-trapped with poison. Oh, also, oh my gosh. It's possible that like this sealed chamber could develop spores and black fungus, <gasps> and that could kill people. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, how can you infect a mosquito that's not in the Valley of yes, the Kings? Yes, that's you know, true. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. How it's weird. is that? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But there are some modern accounts of the curse. This does not have anything to do with King Tut's tomb, but this is like, you know, the Pharaoh's curse, like in general. Okay. Oh, good. Um, so Good. Why am I like <laughs> waiting for that? It's fun. So since hieroglyphics were not able to be deciphered until the 19th century, so reports of curses were just like perceived to be bad luck associating with like handling mummies and like artifacts. Mm-hmm. But in 1699, this guy Louis Pencher wrote an account in which how he recorded a Polish traveler brought two mummies in Alexandria and embarked on a sea journey with the mummies in cargo hold, and the traveler was alarmed by recurring visions of two specters, and stormy seas did not abate until the mummies were f- thrown overboard. <gasps> thrown overboard? Oh, God. Yeah, so they had to get rid of it. Okay. Another one. So Zahi Hawass, I think he was a, he's an Egyptologist, and he's he's telling this story. Um, he was talking about a young archaeologist excavating at a site, and it was like a Greco-Roman site. I tried to keep like at least some sort of like European element here. Yeah. Oh, whatever. He said that this young archaeologist tried to transport several artifacts from that like Greco-Roman site, and he said his cousin died on that day. His Uncle died on the first anniversary of when he ex- <gasps> he took those things. Uh-huh. And on the third anniversary, his aunt died. And then years, three That's years weird. in a row on the same yes. day. Yeah. That's weird. And then years later, when he excavated the tombs in Giza, he encountered the curse. All people who enter this tomb who will make evil against this tomb and destroy it, may the crocodile be against them in water and snakes against them on land. May the hippopotamus be against them in water, the scorpion on land. Oh, okay. Oh, God. So don't wish that on Scary. Anyone. No. So then the same guy, Zahi Hawass, who is, you know, the Egyptologist, he said he's not superstitious, but he said it's just best not to disturb mummies. And he said yeah. he was 
later involved in a removal slash excavation of like two child mummies going to a museum mm-hmm. and he said he was haunted by children in his dreams <gasps> really and it didn't stop oh. until the mummies were reunited with their father oh my god stop mm-hmm. that's that's the stuff that i i'm here for so i think it's safe to say as far as the curse of king tut's tomb goes we have science on our side like the statistics yeah. don't really show anything. <laughs> they didn't die from mold inhalation. Yeah. There are extenuating circumstances. Things happen. It's just weird. People but... get bitten by mosquitoes, and it's happened before. Yeah, but you know. I will say, don't mess with it. Just don't. Yes. Do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, let the dead. You know, no matter who it is, if it's in Egypt or elsewhere, it's like just yeah, exactly. Don't, don't mess. Disturb the dead. Yeah. No. And Ooh, that creepy. is the story Ooh. of the curse of King Tut's tomb and wow. the British excavation. Yeah. <gasps> that was so fun. I really, because mm-hmm. you had told me prior, you know, England by way of England will be mm-hmm. doing this week. And I was like, what could it be? Wow. Yeah. That was good. You know, you. you know what I thought of? If anyone listening, if you like Miss Fisher's murder mysteries. <gasps> oh, yes. We love. Yeah. And then the movie came out and it was like this. It was uh-huh. like a. And it wasn't that great. I was still here for it. I was like, yeah. give me the 1920s Egypt excavation mummies curse. Yeah. Murder. Fun. So fun. <laughs> so fun. I love it. I know. What an era. It blows my mind imagining like being a part of that mm-hmm. excavation team. It'd be so cool. Do I have the patience? Absolutely not. No. I am very impatient. No. I took one archaeology class in college. Well, I signed up for it. I went to two lectures and I was like, no. <laughs> this is so boring. No, thank Rocks you. And dirt. <laughs> no, thank you. I do want to hear these stories. Work and yes. I love that you know science is making this possible. But yeah. it's for someone much patient, much more patient than I. Yes, same. Well, that um, was really good, Kate. Thank you. Okay, I will just dive in mm-hmm. to just, you know, as we said, summer's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Aperol Spritz. Mm. Well, here's another summer cocktail we're going to learn about. <gasps> the history of gin and the gin and tonic. Yes. Quinine, so, right? Quinine, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Okay. It's really Let's interesting. Do- like, I was going to do another thing, and then all of a sudden I was like, gin and tonic that's mm, kind of fun and then it, then i was like yeah. whoa this is actually fun it's short but i had Perfect. no idea and i love a gin and tonic so let's hark it back this is actually going to go back to holland it was oh. gin was created in holland in this early 1600s oh my god mm-hmm. i did not know that no amazing it was a form of medicine and it was called jennifer because oh. that, that's the dutch word for juniper Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So Jennifer. at the time, juniper, star anise, coriander seed, and other botanicals Absolutely were delicious. believed, I know, mm. yum, to have healing properties. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is why it was medicine. And it was distilled with malt spirit, okay. which be- was the drink Jennifer. Okay. And so this was early 1600s. It was developed. By the mid-1600s, gin became huge, Mm -hmm. and there were over 400 distilleries in Amsterdam alone. So Mm. it was the thing to drink. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like affordable, you know, any any class was tossing back 
Jin. Uh-huh. Fast forward a little. Don't know what year this is. Should have looked this up. <laughs> During the (laughs) Thirty Years' War, (laughs) British soldiers fighting on Dutch land discovered Jennifer. Okay. They called it Dutch Courage because the Dutch soldiers were given rations of this Jennifer. Oh, yeah. Got to keep morale up, you know? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And they love it. Health (laughs) is a priority. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they bring it back to England where it spreads like wildfire. As, oh, good. as we know, you know, still today, yeah. huge drink over there. And by 1720, it's estimated that a quarter of households in London alone were making their own gin. So, wow. And it kind of became, it was like a social issue. The government oh. started making propaganda. I didn't go into this, but I remember learning this in, mm-hmm. in some course I took in college. They started to try and push beer on people instead of gin because, you know, obviously like yeah, liquor. Yeah, lower... Yes, Alcohol they content. want people you drinking. Can, yeah, you can still work and contribute to yes. society and capitalism. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Here's your beer, yeah. so you can work. Mm-hmm. Versus like, and especially in lower socioeconomic classes, gin was like like the poor were drinking a lot of gin, and they were like, you know, allegedly says the government like fucking up their own lives and like oh, that and so like please drink beer it. instead yeah, yeah. i mean yeah i mean i'm sure there were issues I mean, look at look at russia yeah exactly yep hark it back vodka uh-huh. episode yep. go listen people mm-hmm. so anyway so that's that fast forward a little bit when in 1875 by then britain has marched to india and says hey we're here it's ours now you know uh-huh. And so from there, they're exposed to more diseases such mm-hmm. as malaria. And in, people in India were um, extracting a medicine from a chinchona tree, I think oh. is how you say it, from this bark to mm-hmm. ward off malaria. Guess what this is? Real. Quinine. Quinine. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's like this little powder that they have developed mm-hmm. from this tree. God, Brilliant. Mother nature. I know. Amazing. Thanks, girl. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Brits, I mean, they have to, st- all the soldiers that they have there, whatever, uh-huh. they have to take this powder because it literally wards off malaria. Uh-huh. It was super bitter and they weren't used to this taste. So they start making it into a tonic by dissolving it in water and adding sugar. Mm. Hence, Delicious. tonic water mm-hmm. was born. Mm-hmm. And then the brand Schweppes, mm. that's, you know, Familiar. the brand we all drink today, mm-hmm. introduced in 1870 the Indian quinine tonic, which is a product specifically aimed, you know, at like the growing market of overseas. All yes. these Brits in India yeah. need this drink. Mm-hmm. So let's market this. Yeah. <laughs> They have to take it every day. You know, it's it's literally medicine. Yeah. And so then someone starts to add gin to this. Hell yeah. God bless. And, yep. <laughs> and and they're like, this point, isn't fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's make it a party. Yes. <laughs> they're like, oh, a little citrus, a little mm-hmm. gin, mm-hmm. a little tonic water. Mm. And boom. Mm-hmm. What became your morning medicine is now like the afternoon medicine dose, but it's treat. like a treat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's delicious. That's the story of the history of the gin and tonic, oh, which I thought was amazing. It just is so funny how it actually mm. 
I mean, historically, it has saved thousands, millions of lives mm-hmm. by drinking the gin and tonic. So GNT. health, everyone. Yeah. It's free. Med- Cheers medicine. to your health. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously now the quinine is at a much lower percentage sure. than they were you drinking back then. We like don't how need do you need much. malaria protection in Wisconsin? You know, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> the England, website yeah. that I read this from, they were like, even so, even if you go to somewhere where malaria is more prevalent, take your malaria pills. Yeah, don't rely on tonics. <laughs> it's not the same. You just drunk the entire time because <laughs> yeah. you're drinking GNTs, medicine, protection. <laughs> um, but then it made me think of the best gin and tonic that I ever had, oh, yes. and I've okay. pro- I've told you about it because uh-huh. I, I literally it's it's seared in my memory. It was mm-hmm. at a pub in Winchester, England, called the Green Man, mm-hmm. and it was locally distilled gin, mm-hmm. and then it was an elderflower tonic mm-hmm. because the mm-hmm. area is like there's tons of elderflower trees mm-hmm. just naturally occurring, and it was so good. It was like this light yellow color. It was so Divine. good. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I can't wait. I'll go back someday mm-hmm. and I'll treat myself. Yeah. I could literally tell you how to get there. Get on the bus, the bus stop. You turn down the street. You take a left and it's like mm-hmm. right there. I love memories like that. It has a special place in my heart. I personally love a Hendrix moment. Love. Yes. Yep. That's Chris, my favorite too. Mm-hmm. Cucumber. Delish. Yep. Because, I mean, obviously you garnish a gin and tonic with lime, but with the Hendrix, it's cucumber. Yeah. And it's yeah, so, absolutely. it's like shocking I f- mm. if you haven't had it in a while. Mm. I think I had one, it was in the winter, but whatever, we had Hendrix. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Mm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so yeah. Thank everyone, you. How fun. Cheers to your a lovely health. long weekend. Yes. Go make yourself a G&T. Yeah, yes. And yes, cheers. Yes. Literally to your health people Mm, nice (laughs) thank you you're welcome okay kate Mm -hmm. do you have a recommendation for me this week yes i do yes okay good good we posted about it this week but Mm -hmm. i am going to recommend the film and the book because you know Uh amazing captain crowley's mandolin yes hear me out I am aware Nicolas Cage is in this movie, okay? And I am aware that he is the main love interest. However, let's look Why? Let's look past it, all right? Yes. If, can we see the broader scope here, all right? <laughs> Here's what we see when we take him out of the, the picture. Mm-hmm. So we see Greece. Are you, are you kidding me? Yep. Whoever that director of photography and director was. Yes. Amazing. Great Beautiful. locations untouched amazing greek island life yeah and not so like beautiful santorini i've never seen no. this type of greece this, before it's like rural it's not yes. rural, but you know i guess mm-hmm. technically it would be rural even though it's an island i don't know how that works anyway but this quiet little humble island i think mm-hmm. it's called kefalonia penelope cruz this is shot in 1999 Young Penelope Cruz mm-hmm. is the perfect specimen on this earth. You know, she really is. Her long hair, sun-kissed skin, her braids. I know. Amazing dresses, like nineteen forties printed button-up dress, scarves, you know, chef's kiss around her Amazing. head. Yes, mm-hmm. foraging with her basket. Amazing. <laughs> and then we have the soundtrack. We've got mandolin <gasps> music. 
such a beautiful soundtrack. Like sweeping orchestra. Beautiful. We get love story and war. I love a period piece. I am here for this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then we also get a young Christian Bale. I know he sucks as a a character, kind of, but... Mm -hmm. Delish. Delicious to look at. And <laughs> I will and then her father we so talked cute. about this about how we love an older father who is sensitive and good to his children. Allah, call me by your name. And yes. this he is it. Yeah. He's so supportive of her, you know, yeah. like against the, the normal times, you know, in the yes, 40s, you think, oh, my daughter should get married and yeah. find a good man by mm-hmm. 20. And he's like, no, she, I want her to be a doctor. Yeah. And yeah. This guy isn't good enough for you. Oh, yeah. we just love him. Yeah. So I will say the film, beautiful. The book, wow. It'll get you <sighs> right in the heart. And I can't Aww. recommend it more. So that is my recommendation. Catherine wow. Kelly's Mandolin. Great. What about you, Kat? So I'm just going to stick with the gin train here. So obviously we we love Hendrix, but when Mm -hmm. I was on vacation, my parents brought a gin that I never had before. Okay. Great quality, less expensive than Hendrix, called Plymouth Gin. Oh, okay. And I I wasn't sure if I've ever had it before because I think I just, you know, I see Hendrix and I just like gravitate towards that. It's it's a little bit more junipery yeah. but it's not like biting as like a bombay sapphire is because okay. i don't really like bombay sapphire okay this it was like so pleasant it's from the uk it was de- absolutely delicious okay so Ooh, plymouth gin if you're looking for a great gin that is not as expensive as hendrix mm. so try it out nice. and get the fever tree tonic because that's the best oh in my yes. opinion nice. right okay it's the best great thank you you're welcome. All right, Kat, do you have a word of the day for us? Yes, I do. Yep, I can wrap it up mm-hmm. with another great British slang that I hope I haven't talked about before, actually, on okay. this. So I was listening to a podcast with two, with a, an Irish girl and a British girl, and they always were talking about friends hanging out, and they said, mm-hmm. like, oh, love the sesh. Oh, my God. And I was, I literally, my ears perked up and I was like, what is this? Yeah. I love Uh it so much. It's just, you know, a social gathering of Mm -hmm. your good friends, but it's like to the point where like, you know, we all have that friend. I am not this friend who will literally not sleep because like she loves be four in the morning and like they're still having a great time because they're surrounded by their best friends. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I love you all and I need to sleep, but like this friend is like just lives for the sesh, Mm -hmm. lives for hanging with their friends, Mm -hmm. for the lofts, you know? (laughs) Oh, they love the sesh. Oh, I love the sesh, but I need to sleep. Me too. I'm a sleepy girl. We all love the sesh, especially like we haven't been able to see all of our friends. I know. In over a year and like, you know, I'm I'm dying for the sesh. I know. You know? I just Mm want to like lay on the couch lay on the floor have every friend sitting on every piece of furniture in the house oh just my God, the best. big sesh mm-hmm. have dinner have wine mm-hmm. just so fun so we love fun. the sesh mm-hmm. all right everyone thank you so much for listening we thank know it's you. been a little break but yes, we're back we hope you enjoyed yes we are and we're gonna have a sesh soon so we'll- yes hope you loved this sesh i know <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you soon Ciao. Ciao.